The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We start with stock stocks snapping a three-session win streak as another member of the Magnificent Seven turns negative on the year. Futures, they're fighting for some gains. And not hype here. The AI wave that's just washing over Wall Street, it gets another fan. This time, it's J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon. His exclusive comments to CNBC in just a moment. Also, a $53 billion deal now in jeopardy as Exxon makes moves that could possibly break up Chevron's massive takeover of its rival Hex. Plus, a new report slamming the culture of safety and accountability at Boeing. And then later, from big tech to retail, we get set for a second wave of consumer company results. We're going to give you the names to watch coming up. It's Tuesday, February the 27th, 2024. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready for the trading day ahead. As always, we kick off the hour with a check of U.S. stock futures. After a mostly lower day for stocks, I saw the Dow and the S&P snap three-session win streaks and the Nasdaq lower for a fifth day in the last six. Futures right now, as you can see, they're in the green across the board. Looks like the Dow would open up about 15 points higher. The Nasdaq and the S&P also fractionally higher at this hour. Big focus, of course, remains on big tech and the Magnificent Seven. This morning, we're watching shares of Alphabet. After Alphabet turned lower on the year, the stock fell 4% yesterday on concerns about its artificial intelligence offerings. Again, we're saying uh, the stock's down lower for the year, but right now you can see in the pre-market, it's up almost 1%, so a bit of a bounce back there. Alphabet joining Tesla and Apple as the only members of the MAG7 in the red since the new year. You can see some of the downside moves here. I'm going to get out the way. Tesla, the hardest hit, down just about 20%. This morning, we're also checking bond yields, taking a look. Uh, as always, we focus on the benchmark tenure. This morning, we're seeing it at 4.26, ticking up just about a basis point from the level that we saw it at yesterday. And we're also, this morning, we're taking a, like, taking a look at cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin. We don't talk about it often, but Bitcoin up again this morning after popping past $54,000 for the first time since December of 2021. Yesterday, this morning, or at this t- hour, I should say, it's just about 4% higher. You've got to remember, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, they trade around the clock. All right, that's your morning money setup. Let's get back to the markets. Despite some pre-market weakness, stocks, they appear to be breaking from the historical trends this month, notching solid gains so far in February. The Dow and the S&P up roughly 2.5% and 4.5%, but the Nasdaq shining bright up more than 5%, thanks in part to NVIDIA and that continued excitement all around artificial intelligence. For much more, let's bring in Josh Wine, Portfolio Manager at Hennessy Funds. Josh, good morning. It's great to see you. Good to see you, Frank. All right. So we're talking about the month of February. But if we look more recently, actually, the Nasdaq, as we mentioned at the top of the hour, um, lower in five of the last six sessions. And on the other side, the small caps, the Russell up for three sessions in a row. Is this possibly an inflection point? It is possibly. It would seem like it should be. I mean, I think if something can't go on forever, then it won't. And uh, we have seen after a tough last 12 months for small and mid cap, they are picking up some steam. Uh, it's, It's good to see. And it's natural. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. 
I, Josh, you know, I know it makes a lot of sense to you. I was leading you a bit. You're one of those people, you come on the show, you're a big fan of the small caps. In fact, you think right now small caps are pretty affordable. I'm looking at your data right now. You say the S&P 400 uh, mid-cap index, I should say, so it's small and mid-caps, trading at about 15 times forward earnings, lower than the S&P trading at about 21 times forward earnings. But small caps are still lagging. So give me a sense. With rates higher, what's the argument to stick with small caps? Yeah, I think that, I mean, some of it is, you know, inevitably there will be some rebalancing and, and you know, it, all it takes is, you know, a few good weeks or a few bad weeks of some of these, you know, large cap tech stop stocks to roll over and, and people will realize that, okay, that game might be over. Uh, I think more than that on a fundamental basis, you know, certainly put quite simply, they're the future large cap stocks potentially, but but even more so, you know, a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines, about right. $7 trillion on the balance sheet of S&P 500 companies, about $3 trillion plus in private equity dry powder. And, and there's a case to be made that at this point in the cycle, you know, M&A uh, could come back and might make sense, right. you know, kind of buy growth, buy efficiency. Uh, and, and so I think that that is something to keep in mind as well. All right. By the way, uh, you have a lot of company when it comes to that small caps argument. Uh, Tom Lee, for example, from Fundstrat, he believes small caps are going to rally as much as 50% this year. I want to come to something else where you're a bit of a contrarian. So you, you sent us some notes. I want to make sure I'm reading this right, Josh. You say, and I'm, I'm looking at it, you think the Fed may be near the end of its rate hikes? I think everybody else thinks they're about to cut. So you think a hike is even a possibility? No, no, no. No, I, I think I'm right in the consensus. I think, okay. that, you know, yeah, I think, you know, the, the market's pricing in about three cuts by the end of the year. And, and I, I think, like many, that maybe there's one extra cut in there that's priced in that isn't really going to happen. But yeah, no, I think I think the Fed's done. I think they like to have some optionality and, and okay. make it known that they can do what they want. But no, I, I was very I, I think it's just a phrasing thing. I was very surprised. I was okay. like, wait a minute. You think they're near their, their hikes? I think everybody thinks they're about to cut. So oh, yeah, with no. this cut, I think the consensus is being pushed back further and further, maybe June, maybe July. How do you see that impact in the markets going forward? Does it put in your mind even more emphasis on this PCE report coming up later this week? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because I it just kind of started to percolate a little bit more in my head that, you know, three or four months ago, we, we talked almost exclusively about the Fed and, and and earnings was an afterthought. I think I think this quarter, it strikes me that, you know, earnings have been a lot stronger than expected. I think 70 or 80 percent of companies have reported better than expected, you know, revenue and earnings. And, and there's been some measure of growth. And I think the market is taking kind of the bad news about rate cuts. You know, we thought there were going to be six, now three this year, and they're going to start a lot later if, you know, in, you know, May, June or June, July rather. So I think that the market's taking that in stride and and looking at earnings and and looking at a a backdrop where there is some growth. And, And certainly we see it in companies like NVIDIA where there's truly real growth and, 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 and all of that, but also just in the aggregate, it's been a strong quarter. And I think, uh, you, know, cons- you know, investors are taking solace in that. All right. Sounds like you're saying the trend is your friend right now. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Josh, Wan, we're going to leave that. it there. Great to see you as yeah. always. Thank you. You too, Frank. All right. Time now to get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Chevron is warning investors that its $53 billion all-stock deal for rival Hess could be in jeopardy. Now, this coming after ExxonMobil and China Sinook claim in a regulatory filing they have the right to counter Chevron's offer for Hess's stake in a major project in Guyana, 
one Exxon currently operates and has, descri- has been described as one of the largest oil finds in years. Much of the value of Chevron's offer for Hess was tied to Hess's 30 percent stake in the Exxon Lead Guyanese Consortium. Chinese online fashion giant Xi'an is reportedly considering the possibility of switching its initial public offering to London from New York on fears the SEC may not approve its listing. Xi'an, which was founded in China but is now headquartered in Singapore, would have to file new applications with Chinese regulators if it decides to switch to London, Hong Kong or elsewhere. And according to an FAA panel of experts, when it comes to safety culture at Boeing, there appears to be a, quote, disconnect between senior management, workers and some who fear retaliation for raising safety or production concerns. The panel adds constant changes in Boeing safety training procedures are leading to confusion among employees. And Frank, the findings are tied to a congressional order from back in 2020 aimed at reforming how the FAA certifies new planes and those two deadly 737 MAX crashes both in 2018 and in 2019. Yeah, you know, certainly a continuing story here, Boeing and uh, trying to recover from some major safety issues with their planes. So, Mano, we'll see you later in the show. See you later, Frank. All right. We got a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange. That includes the one word that investors have to know today. Plus, someone leaked Kava's latest quarterly results, but management, they just don't appear to be complaining with the stock. It's moving higher in the pre-market. And then later, some new pressure on the oil patch as OPEC appears to set to stick with its voluntary production cuts. RBC Capital Markets' Halima Croft, she's here to weigh in. But first, we are back in Barcelona at the Mobile World Congress with our Karen Cho. She has the very latest on all the AI buzz. Karen. Frank, from AI hype to reality, how big brands are maximizing AI. And the one acronym you need to know, it's called MASS. We'll have plenty more after the break. Summer. The best time of year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. U.S. futures, you can see, they are solidly in the green. Let's see how Europe is shaping up as its trading day gets underway. Carolyn Roth's in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. And Carolyn, good morning. Looks like those granola names you mentioned yesterday are moving the markets higher there. 
Of course, we're not talking about breakfast here, Frank. We're talking about the 11 biggest names in the stock 600, which have been powering more than 50 percent of the gains of the last 12 months or so. Uh, did you know, Frank, that actually the granolas have outperformed the Max 7 of the last two years? Also, did you know their volatility is two times lower than that of the Magnificent 7? I thought that was pretty remarkable. Elsewhere, when it comes to the European equity markets this morning, bit of a patchy picture, in fact, the Zetradax seeing yet another record high here, up by half of 1%. But uh, elsewhere, we're seeing some very modest declines for the CAC 40 in France, um, holding on to the flat line. The IBEX in Spain is off by a third of 1%. We had a couple earnings reports that have powered us higher once again here. Puma, Munich, Reef, for example, in Germany, but also Buick at the, sto- at the top of the stock 600. That is uh, happening in the French market. When it comes to the sectors, let me uh, show you that we are seeing the miners, the underperformers of last week really at the top of um, that side of the ledger here up by 1.3 percent uh, and this is on the back of stronger metal prices in today's trading session autos real estate also trending to the upside on the downside media healthcare, and household goods on that note back over to you frank all right carolyn thank you very much we're going to stick with the overseas action it is day two of the mobile world congress in barcelona spain where ai is taking center stage on laptops smartphones and much much more And if you're starting to think that all this AI talk in almost everything is a sign of a bubble, well, J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon says you need to think again. This is not hype. This this is real. So, you know, when we had uh, the Internet bubble the first round, eyeballs, you know, that was hype. This is not hype. It's real. And so people are deploying it, you know, at different speeds. uh, But it will handle a tremendous amount of stuff. We're all going to get better, faster, smarter. Bad guys are going to use it, so we have to build the systems to counter the bad guys. You know, it's being used to combat cyber right now. It's being, obviously, it's being used everywhere. All right, CNBC's Karen Cho joins me now live from the conference floor in Barcelona. Karen, good morning. Frank, good morning to you. Well, it's not just about a narrow set of AI bets is what we're learning at this conference here. Microsoft has now stretched its bets beyond OpenAI and ChatGPT. Despite that $10 billion investment, it is now teaming up, partnering with a French company called Mistral. And what does it mean for that French startup? Well, effectively, they can use the supercomputing infrastructure of Microsoft, so lower spend for startups. That does, of course, provide some enthusiasm for the rest of the AI startups. For Microsoft, what does it mean? It means it can monetize even quicker. It can use those Mistral premium products, offer them to its customers. Think about SaaS. There's a new model and it's called Mass. This is models as a service. Something very similar, but it means more money in Microsoft's pockets now. I spoke to Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, and asked him about the hype on markets. Let's take a listen. The market tends to get things right, even if in the short term, one never perhaps entirely knows. What I do think is this. AI is quite possibly the defining technology of this decade, maybe even of our generation. Frank, what is key too, that these deals are not exclusive. So Mistral also has been talking to for new products and Google. So it's very interesting about the collaborations taking place across the board. Just one quick one on NVIDIA. We keep asking where we're at with the chip cycle. Well, a lot of people are partnering with NVIDIA. That also means there's a huge number of chips still to be ordered in future, Frank. So, Karen, it's clearly a lot of people are partnering with Mistral as well. You mentioned Amazon, Google. Amazon just made an announcement. 
just four days ago about its partnership with Mistral. So give us a sense. What is Mistral offering that is just so in demand? It's a, another large language model, and don't forget, this is a French company that was created less than a year ago. So what does it say about the ability of rivals to just come up out of nowhere? This was a company worth a, a couple of hundred million euros last year, had a second round of fundraising, now worth two billion euros. And it is the French play, the European play in AI. So it does tell you that there's going to be more of an AI story beyond Silicon Valley, that the startups can come effectively from everywhere. It's USP. Well, it's got this technology that could take on the likes of Gemini Pro. It's meant to be as good as GPT-4. What edge does it have? Well, it's just it's a European company in the mix. So I think that's the thing we're learning. It's not just one or two companies, a handful of companies that Wall Street has been focusing on. We are seeing more companies, very quick competition coming into the AI equation. Right. Well, clearly we're going to hear a lot more about Mistral going forward. Also, just crossing the wires a short time ago, EU lawmakers saying that the Microsoft Mistral deal, it needs to be looked at. Uh, so we'll continue to follow that story as well. But Karen Cho, great reporting there from the floor in Barcelona and always great to see you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, getting set for some retail results. The names our next guest says should be on your shopping list ahead of their reports. Stay with us. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your big money movers. That's three stock stories of the morning. We're going to start off with shares of Zoom. You can see they're up more than 12% after beating fourth quarter analyst estimates. Zoom says sales growth would have been even faster in its most recent quarter, if not for a sales team reorganization. Again, shares up just about 12%. All right, shares of software maker Unity sinking ahead of the open. The company offering a disappointing first quarter forecast in its most recent earnings report. You can see shares are down more than 14%. Management says going forward, it will only provide revenue guidance for its, quote, strategic portfolio, which includes its game engine, cloud and monetization units. Fourth quarter sales were up 35 percent year over year. And shares of restaurant chain Cava, they're on fire, posting fourth quarter sales that topped estimates as more people visited locations and shout out even more for its premium dishes. Cava says same store sales, they rose by 11.4 percent more than the 6.3% that analysts had forecasted. Kava was set to release results after the close today, but a news outlet published the numbers a day early. Obviously, the numbers were pretty good, according to the street. Uh, shares up almost 9%. All right, let's get a check on more of this morning's headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the very latest. Francis, good morning. Good morning, Frank. We begin today with the latest in the 2020 election, where President Biden is facing a test in Michigan. The battleground state is holding its primaries today, and the large Arab-American population has been calling on the president to push for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. Some voters say they plan to vote uncommitted instead of supporting President Biden. Republicans will also vote in Michigan today. Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra travels to Alabama today to hear directly from both patients and doctors impacted by the state Supreme Court decision on in vitro fertilization. The court said that frozen embryos count as people, 
which led to several major clinics halting IVF treatment. The backlash has left state lawmakers scrambling for a solution. Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump has said that the procedure should be protected. And restaurant chain Wendy's plans to start surge pricing when menu items will cost more during times they are in high demand. This dynamic pricing feature could start as early as next year, according to the fast food chain CEO. You're up to date now with those headlines. Frank said about to you. So if the line's long, I have to pay more for a Frosty? I don't know about that one. Frank. Yeah, or go around the corner from McDonald's <laughs> and Burger King, I guess, too, right? <laughs> All right, Francis Rivera, live in New York. Always great to see you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the wave of 2024 layoffs not slowing down as a well-known name in travel takes an axe to its ranks. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Stocks kicking off the new trading week in the red, looking to shake off that stumble in February's solid and get February's solid gains back on track. Where our Jim Cramer is telling investors to be optimistic about the markets. Top of the agenda today, retail earnings. Names like Lowe's, Macy's, and Urban Outfitters all set to report. The concerning signs suggesting the resilient consumer may be losing some steam. And a $53 billion deal in the energy space potentially at risk as Exxon weighs throwing a wrench in Chevron's takeover of its rival Hess. It is Tuesday, February the 27th, 2024. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin. Let's get you ready for the trading day ahead. We're going to pick up the half an hour with the check of U.S. stock futures. After a mostly lower day for stocks, I saw the Dow and the S&P both snap three-session win streaks and the Nasdaq log a fifth down day in the last six. Take a look at futures right now. They are in the green across the board, pretty much at the same level we saw them at just about a half an hour ago. Okay. The big focus, of course, for the markets remains big tech and the Magnificent Seven. This morning, we're watching shares of Alphabet after it turned lower on the year. The stock fell 4% yesterday on concerns about its artificial intelligence offerings. You can see right now in the pre-market, however, it's rebounding a bit up almost 1%. Alphabet joined the likes of Tesla and Apple as the only members of the MAG7 in the red this year. Take a look. Tesla's right here at the end. Shares down almost 20%. Apple right behind it, down just about 6%. We're also checking bond market yields this morning. As always, we focus on the benchmark 10-year. Taking a look at 4.26, same level we saw it at earlier this morning, just about a basis point higher than we saw it at yesterday. And we want to take a look at cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin. It's up again this morning after popping past 54000 for the first time since December of 2021. Yesterday, you can see right now, Bitcoin trades around the clock up just about 4%. All right, we want to turn back to the markets and a developing story. Chevron is warning investors that its $53 billion all-stock deal for rival Hess, that could be in jeopardy. This after ExxonMobil and China's Sanu claim in a regulatory filing, they have the right to counter Chevron's offer for the stake Hess now holds in a major oil project in Guyana. It's one Exxon currently operates and has been described as one of the largest oil finds in years. Much of the value of Chevron's offer for Hess it was tied to Hess's 30% stake in the, in the Exxon-led Guyanese consortium. Important to note, however, as of this morning, Exxon and Sanuk have not made a counteroffer for the stake and are only asserting that they have the right to do so. You can see right now, Hess shares are down just about 3.5% on that news. For much more on Guyana, what's become an increasingly important and hotly contested oil reserve, let's bring in RBC Capital Markets, Global Head of Commodity Strategy, Halima Croft, She's also a CNBC contributor. Halima, good morning. Great to have you here. 
Thank you for having me, Frank. All right. So, Halima, there's not only corporate disputes about this area of oil. There's also nation to nation disputes. We, we see reports that Venezuela is lining up troops along the Guyanese border. So give us a sense. How important is this oil reserve in Guyana? I've seen reports it's about 11 billion barrels of oil and gas and really called the gem of this deal for Hess. I mean, Guyana has been the explosive growth story in the oil markets. Five years ago, Guyana was producing zero barrels a day. Now it is producing 650,000. It has been one of the principal drivers in terms of oil supply in this market. Obviously, hugely important to Exxon. The reason, key reason behind Chevron's desire to acquire Hess. And it's a subject, as you just mentioned, of a territorial dispute. Venezuela has claimed that they have sovereignty over major offshore acreage, and that is now being contested in the International Court of Justice. Venezuela has deployed thousands of troops to the border. The U.K. has sent a warship down to the territorial waters. So we are watching this as a commercial story, but also as a geopolitical story as well. All right. So it's a geopolitical story as well. I do have to ask, uh, a find of this kind in South America how is the rest of, of the oil producing world, how are they responding to this find? What does it have? Does it have potential to disrupt some of the uh, already paradigms that we have when it comes to the oil market? I mean, certainly you can see the Venezuelan action as an indication that it is a subject of dispute within this region, again, a potential driver of instability. But it also is shifting calculations of a group like OPEC. You know, OPEC now has to contend with, you know, growth coming from the Americas. Remember, the shale story was all about capital discipline. Now we have other producers that they have to contend with. Brazil has also seen extensive growth over the past couple years. So now we have have Brazil. We have this big Guyana story. So if you are OPEC, you have to contend with growth coming from the Americas when you set your production policies. All right. Um, Halima, I want to turn to the crisis in the Middle East for just a second. Obviously, that has some impact on the oil market as well. President Biden last night saying he's looking for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas, possibly as soon as Monday. But now this morning, we're hearing from the Qatar foreign ministry saying there is no agreement between Hamas and Israel on any of the issues linked to the Gaza ceasefire. Your reaction? I mean, this is the key issue that we're watching. I mean, clearly you would need some type of ceasefire to see a de-escalation in disputes like what we're seeing in the Red Sea. The Houthis have said they will continue to target tankers until there is a permanent ceasefire. We're also watching the potential you know, expansion of this conflict into Lebanon. We continue to highlight the risk of if you do see an Israeli ground offensive in Lebanon, that is a potential path to a wider conflict involving Iran. President Biden you know, desperately wants some type of de-escalation in this crisis. But again, nothing to indicate that we are approaching that yet. Yeah. So again, something just crossed in a short time ago, Qatar saying that the main points, there has not been an agreement when it comes to those. Um, I just want to talk to you about the oil market more broadly. It really seems like oil has been kind of range bound, um, just barely getting across that, that $80 mark when it comes to Brent. Give us a sense right. in your mind with what you're seeing um, other than OPEC production cuts. Is there anything else that could move the oil market higher at all? And, and should investors be mindful uh, of, how it be, uh, of how range bound it's been? I mean, do you expect that to change anytime this year? 
I mean, I still think there is considerable wake-up risk from this war in the Middle East. I mean, investors are essentially saying, look, we bet on supply disruptions coming out of the Russia-Ukraine war, and yet Russian exports remain resilient. So they're looking at this situation in the Israel-Hamas war and saying, we have no major supply disruptions. Yes, we are having a tankers attacked in the Red Sea, but we still have supply making it to the market. But I would just say we could need to continue to watch any sign that this war spreads to key producers like Iran. Right. We are watching, again, the situation very closely in Lebanon because Iran is the principal backer of Hezbollah. So if we have Israel ground offensive there, there is a real risk that it does become a wider war involving Iran. And that would potentially put at risk supplies in places like the Straits of Hormuz. All right. Helene McCroft, always great to see you. Thank you for your time and for your insight. Thank you. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. President Biden is set to meet with congressional leaders at the White House today as a deadline at the end of this week to fund the government moves closer. Congress has just a few days left to approve the first four bills to prevent a partial shutdown after March 1st, with a second deadline coming a week later. The president is also expected to push lawmakers to find a path forward on the Senate-approved aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and others. Expedia becoming the latest company to announce layoffs. In a regulatory filing, the travel platform revealing it's cutting about 1,500 jobs as it works to, quote, recalibrate resources. Expedia adding it expects between 80 and 100 million dollars in pre-tax charges and costs this year associated with the restructuring. We see it just slightly higher in the pre-market. And a major executive shakeup at Disney. Sean Bailey is stepping down as president of Walt Disney Studios after 15 years. The move comes after Disney faced a rough 2023 at the box office, including the poor performance by the Haunted Mansion. Bailey will be replaced by David Greenbaum, president of Searchlight Pictures, which produced the Oscar-nominated film Poor Things. Greenbaum also recently helped Disney win the streaming rights for what else? Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, Frank. And that's a win right there. We've got a lot of Swifties yep. out there. Tune in and watch that. <laughs> Silvana, thank you very much. You got it. All right, turning back to earnings. The earnings parade is back on this week with a host of retailers reporting their results. Among the big names, we're going to hear from Lowe's, Macy's, and Urban Outfitters today, TJ Maxx and Home Goods parent TJX tomorrow, and Best Buy on Thursday. U.S. retail sales, they fell more than expected in January following that strong holiday shopping season. While consumers appear to be resilient, they also remain selective about their spending. We heard from Walmart last week. Shoppers spent less per trip. It's a sign prices are cooling in some categories, but inflation remains stubborn in others. Let's talk much more about this with Jessica Ramirez, senior research analyst at Jane Holly and Associates. Great to have you here. Thank Good you to have morning. you in person. We, have, we talked a couple times. So uh, your most recent note, you're saying that food inflation, food costs is one of the things weighing on discretionary spending. We did a little research. I'm um, looking right here. Juices, they're up 29% year over year, steaks up 11%, but then on the other side, eggs are down 29%, seafood's down 4%, so a lot of different moves there, but overall, grocery prices up 1% year over year. Give us a sense, what, in, what consumers does that impact, how does it impact them? Yeah, so really when we see a lot of the pressures coming, especially from food, and then we also have the housing pressure, you're looking at the lower income and the middle income consumer. 
And the first things, you know, to first purchase is food. So that becomes a priority. We are still seeing the consumer spend on entertainment. If it's food at restaurants, that's also still expensive, right? Right. So this is the priority for the consumer. So that leaves your discretionary spend to be much more cautious. And do I really need this? Is this where I'm going to spend? We're looking at wellness to be key. So those are the categories. If that category has function, if it falls within wellness, that's where we see the consumer spend right now. So you're saying that this food inflation is really impacting the middle class, uh, working class consumer. But on the, uh, the other end, the, lux- the higher income consumer, they're still spending on luxury. Their discretionary spend that hasn't been impacted at all. We haven't seen too much on that. And as you know, the previous weeks we had LVMH, we have RMS. Those two did really well. Again, the luxury sector has been performing differently because they have different um, strategies going forward. There's some of the luxury companies that are suffering, but that customer still is spending. And again, also entertainment, but if there's great product out there. All right. So you said this earnings season, the retailer that we really need to watch is TJX because they actually in real time, they have more ability to adjust their inventory. So when we get this result from TJX, what should we be looking for? What signals about the consumer can it give us? Yeah, with TJX, one, we could see how home is doing. So last year, we started seeing green shoots with soft homes. So again, because it's still tough with housing, we could see a spend with small things you could decorate in the house, not the big tickets. And we'll see that with home goods likely again this this quarter. You could also see where they're spending more if it's beauty. Now, as you said, with TJX, they're able to easily flex where the consumer interest lies. They've expanded that beauty category massively in terms of skincare and in terms of wellness, whatnot. So we like that. In other terms, again, back to work, that's where we'll also maybe see some of that. Um, I want to ask you about something else. In the retail world, you guys call it hard lines. It's like appliances, big screen TVs, <laughs> things like that. Yesterday, we had the Whirlpool CEO here on CNBC, and you mentioned housing a short time ago as well. He talked a bit about how ho- housing is impacting consumer discretionary spending. Take a listen. Replacement is very strong, even growing, which is a result of what we always talked about. With, with COVID and post-COVID, the usage is higher, and that basically reduces the life of an appliance. Um, so replacement is very strong um, and will remain strong for a couple of years. It's the discretionary side, housing-related and consumer sentiment, which has been soft for ever since the mortgage rates increased. Yeah, he went on to say, you know, higher interest rates overall are kind of impacting that consumer discretionary spend. So... In your mind, when we get the Fed cuts, does that reverse this trend in this situation? Do we need multiple cuts? What makes a, creates a big change when it comes to the retail sector? I think when the way we look at it in, in quite simple terms, if we're moving houses, we need those bigger ticket right. items. If you're not moving houses, we're staying safe with what we have. At the moment, you hear from Home Depot, we like, we'll likely hear it from Lowe's as well. Do it yourself. If it's a really big project, that's being put on hold. So what I do like about Home Depot and what I see about Lowe's and broader in broader retail strategy with a lot of the retailers they've become much more strategic with inventory and operations so the moment that that does kick back up i think they're well positioned to gain there we go jessica ramirez great to see you thank you very much all right coming up here on worldwide exchange not out the woods at least not yet the new comments from one fed official on the central bank's inflation fight but first a few more big money movers we're going to start with shares of par gurus they're dropping As the company's guidance overshadows better-than-expected fourth-quarter results, the online auto marketplace expects first-quarter revenue to come in about 11% below analyst estimates. You can see shares are down more than 14%. Shares of Hims and Hers, they're rallying this morning. You can see right now they're up more than 19%. The wellness site says it expects to be profitable for the first time this year. 
and is forecasting first quarter and full year sales that are above analyst estimates. The company says it's in the early stages of offering weight loss drugs and believes it could become a one-stop shop for managing obesity. Again, it shares up more than 19%. Workday, however, under some pressure. The HR software provider's fourth quarter profit beating forecast on strong demand for its cloud services. Revenue was in line. The company is sticking to its guidance for the annual subscription revenue as it expects macro concerns to continue this year. You can see shares are down almost 7%. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at futures right now, you can see we are fractionally higher across the board. Dow looks like it would open up just slightly higher, almost flat. And we want to take a look at some of your movers in the pre-market on the NASDAQ 100. Palo Alto Networks right there at the top of the list, up more than 6%, followed by chipmaker Micron. American Electric shares up one and almost three quarters of a percent. All right, time now for your morning call sheet. We're going to begin with Morgan Stanley out with a big price target cut on EV maker Rivian, moving it from $24 to $14. Morgan Stanley says the EV maker strategy needs an overhaul with a focus on cost, capital discipline, and collaboration. Shares, however, in the pre-market, they are up almost 2%. Berenberg out with a price target increase on drug maker Eli Lilly, moving it from $680 to $850 per share. It caused the company a top pick in U.S. Pharma, saying it offers a far superior growth profile driven by diabetes and obesity drugs, shares of Eli Lilly, they're fractionally higher right now. And Piper Sandler upgrading one of your morning's big money movers. We're talking Unity Software raising its rating to neutral despite that disappointing first, for, first quarter forecast. Piper saying the rating presents a more balanced risk reward scenario on that stock. Shares of Unity, however, you can see they're down almost 16%. It's also time for your global briefing. We start with the Japanese markets rising to a fresh all-time high today, despite data showing inflation slowed down for the third straight month in January. Core CPI rising just 2%, lowest level since March of 2022. That could complicate the path for the Bank of Japan to eventually hike interest rates. Shares of Chinese EV maker Li Auto surging in Hong Kong after reporting fourth quarter earnings and revenue that beat forecast. That's on the back of rising demand for SUVs and other cars. Li Auto also reporting its first ever full-year profit. Shares of Li Auto up almost uh, 25.5% right now. Microsoft also coming under some scrutiny in Europe. An, e an EU lawmaker says the company's new deal with French startup Mistral AI should be investigated further. Microsoft saying it will soon make Mistral AI's models available through its Azure cloud computing platform. Microsoft telling Reuters it's invested in Mistral but holds no equity stake. And that would, is what appearing, appears to be raising some eyebrows over in Brussels. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, our Jim Cramer is suggesting investors should be optimistic about these markets, while our next guest may not fully agree. And during February, CNBC is celebrating black heritage as we have the break. Here is Sharon Epperson with a look at progress on diversity disclosures by companies. According to Just Capital, only 11% of Russell 1000 companies disclose 2024 race and ethnicity diversity targets for their management teams. But that's up 9% compared to 2023. Celebrating Black Heritage, I'm Sharon Epperson. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with Xi'an. It's reportedly considering the possibility of switching its IPO to London from New York on fears the SEC may not approve its listing. The Chinese online fashion giant, which was founded in China but is now headquartered in Singapore, would have to file new applications with Chinese regulators if it decides to switch. An FAA panel deeming there appears to be, quote, Disconnect on safety culture at Boeing between senior management, workers, and some who fear retaliation for raising safety or production concerns. The panel adds constant changes in Boeing's safety training procedures are leading to confusion among employees. Shares of Zoom, they're just taking off after fourth quarter results beat on both the top and the bottom lines. The company's CFO saying growth would have been even faster during that period if not for a sales reorganization. Shares of Zoom up almost 12%. We're also watching shares of Altice this morning after surging 36% yesterday on a report that Charter Communications is considering buying the broadband company. Sources tell CNBC Altice has not been approached by Charter to begin talks on a possible deal. Taking a look at shares of Altice this morning, up almost 3%. We're also watching shares of Kroger and Albertsons after the FTC announced it's suing to block the merger of those two grocers. The FTC arguing the deal would result in higher prices for shoppers and lower wages for workers with both companies disputing the regulator's argument. And not out of the woods yet. That is the outlook on the Fed's inflation fight from Kansas City President Jeff Schmid in his first public speech since joining the central bank. Schmid stressing patience when it comes to rate cuts. All right, here's what to watch today. On the economic front, we get durable goods and consumer confidence figures, as well as the latest S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index. Also, we have another busy day of earnings with results from Lowe's, Macy's, AutoZone, J.M. Schmucker, Norwegian Cruise Line and eBay and voters in Michigan. They head to the polls today for that state's presidential primary contest. So a very busy day. All right. Stocks, they're looking to shake off a bit of a stumble to start the new trading week. Taking a look at futures right now, as you mentioned earlier, uh, they're in the green across the board. Looks like the Dow would open up just fractionally higher right now, about 15 points higher. On last night's Mad Money, Jim Cramer reminding investors there are many reasons to be optimistic about the markets, including Companies beating the street with their quarterly results. These moves are all signs that are emblematic, not of a bubble, but of companies doing much better than expected. Stocks are going up on rational experience. They're not going up on irrational. And they're not going up on the dreaded multiple expansion, where people keep paying more for the same earnings. For more on this in the trading day ahead, let's bring in Jenny Harrington, CEO of Gilman Hill Asset Management and a CNBC contributor. Jenny, good morning. Always great to see you. Good morning, Frank. So what did you make with Kramer? Doing my homework up until the end there. <laughs> right, right to the end. You, you got to get ready for this spot, Jenny. We appreciate it. Um, what did you make of what Kramer had to say just about this market? It's kind of giving investors a nudge to stay optimistic. You know, it's funny because I think Kramer and I, I was listening to him last night, too, as I was driving home. And I think we're thinking the same thing about earnings, but Kramer's a more positive guy than I am, right? I manage a dividend income strategy, so I always kind of look at everything in a more subdued light. And so I look at earnings and I'm reflecting back on it, and I've got just a more subdued kind of perspective on it. I think some people heard things over the past few weeks like Uber and Meta announcing share buybacks and in Meta's case, a big dividend hike. And they're like, that's great. You know, and they drove the share prices higher. And I hear that. And I think, hmm, why do companies buy back shares and why do companies um, put a dividend in place? And the reason they do that with their cash is because the future growth is right. less than what the past growth has been. So, so I'm looking at earnings in a, in a just more subdued, not negative, 
just subdued light. All right, subdued, not oh, negative, Jenny. Oh, and to your earlier, sorry. No, no, okay, well, let me just jump in for a second. So you're subdued, but right now, at least in one of your funds, you're holding about 10% cash. So you're subdued, but it sounds like right. you're waiting for an opportunity. Where do you see the opportunity coming in? So I see it because I think the market's a little bit stretched. And at 21 times earnings on the S&P 500, that's just a bit too much. And while my portfolio, specifically the dividend income strategy, is trading at about 12 and a half times forward earnings, what I know is that the systematic correlation in the market today is tremendous. So even though in theory, right, like dividend stocks, value stocks, mid cap, small cap, they shouldn't trade in line with the S&P 500. If the S&P 500 backs off, everything backs off along with it. And I think it's a little too rich for this point in the year. I don't think that that $247 of S&P earnings that we need to be at the price that okay. the S&P is at right now, I don't think that's locked up for the year. All so right, if so the market backs off, I think I get into the stocks I want 5%, 10% cheaper. So Jenny, I do want to ask you, so you're all about the dividend stocks, but I mean, I'm looking, dividend stocks have really lagged the broader market, certainly tech over the last year. And you gave us one of your picks. It's uh, Crown Castle, ticker CCI. Mm -hmm. um, the dividend is pretty close to what you might get on a, a one-year treasury or even what you said you have in your money market fund. What's the argument for these dividend stocks right now when you're not getting the price appreciation and the dividend is pretty close to what you can get just in a money market or from a bond? So easy. So in a money market, in a money market fund, you can be pretty certain that, that right, the really good ones right now are yielding about 5.3%. If you believe that interest rates are coming down, which I believe everybody does, right? We're kind of at the high point right now. Your money market yields are going to go down. With a bond, if you lock in a 5.3% right now until maturity, that is all you get. If you buy a company like Crown Castle, Crown Castle has a long history of increasing their dividend. They used to increase about 8 9% a year. Now it's flat, but in a couple years, it should resume that that 8 to 9% growth. In addition, the shares are really undervalued. If you just use a div dividend discount model, which is a really simple valuation method, it would suggest that the shares should be about $127 a share now, not 106. So you've got capital appreciation, you've got future dividend growth. Crown Castle is different because it's organized as a REIT, so it's got an ordinary income tax on the dividend, but in most other dividend stocks, you have also favorable taxation. So if you're getting okay. a money market fund or a, or a taxable bond, you're paying ordinary income tax. If you buy a dividend stock, you're paying 15, maybe 20%, super favorable. All right, Jenny Harrington, we gotta leave it there, but I love the conviction. Your pick today for us, Crown Castle. Thank you again for being here. Always good to see you. All right, that's gonna do Thanks. it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We got Squawk Box coming up next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.